Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. I got back from the beach uh, on last Sunday night, and it was in, through to the middle of the week before before I um, checked out you know, Brandon's message from last week, and that was really, really good. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to check out his message from last week on the podcast. But while I was in there looking at the podcast info, um, it uh, it showed that there was four, 1,430-some-odd, whatever it was. I forget. I, I emailed uh, Jim and Craig and Brandon, I think. But 1,400-some-odd podcast listens within the last 30 days. Um, usually... Up until about two months ago, it was like 200 in the last 30 days. And so that, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, that's explosion uh, of, of podcast listens. There's even some podcast listeners who are starting to send in donations, monetary donations, to keep the stuff going, which is fantastic. Uh, because, unfortunately, as much as we try to keep it lean and you know, not a whole lot of overhead, it still takes money to do what we do. It takes money to rent this place. It takes money to host the podcast, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so that's pretty fantastic. I don't know what's going on with all that, you know, but I just say, hey, I'll enjoy the ride, you know. Um, and so uh, we're really glad to welcome our podcast listeners. That's why we're recording, even though, like, you can all hear. There's no speakers in here, but we, we try to keep the recording going for the podcast. So let me pray again, and we're going to jump into our teaching this morning of Christianity All Natural. Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you again for everyone who is here. I thank you for everyone who is listening by, by podcast. Father, I obviously have no clue about what really is going on in the hearts and the lives of, of people, of your people. Um, you do. You know all things. And I just pray, Father, that... During this time together, as we've already sensed your presence in our music time and as we move forward into this teaching time, I just pray, Father, that there would be such great clarity of our identity, our location in you, that it would truly begin to steer our, our lives. It being so clear of where we are and in whom we are, that it would just simply be so natural for that reality of our life in Christ to become our life in this world. Not by outside-in tactics, but truly by the revelation and the renewal of our minds in Christ Jesus. We want to make such a big deal about Jesus this morning and every morning because He is our life. We have died, and we are now hidden in Christ Jesus in you. And he is our life. Not a priority of our life. Not an option for us to do, but he is our life. And I'll be the first to say, I don't really know what all that could possibly mean. But I am excited for the journey to discover what we really have in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you haven't been with us before, haven't been with us in a while, we're doing this uh, teaching series that we've just simply entitled Christianity All Natural. And the idea behind it is to, 
to just spend some time. I don't know how long we'll do this. Maybe until school starts back, we'll do something else. I don't know. But just spend some time um, discovering what Christianity really is without all the add-ons. We've talked about how over 2,000 years, let's just, be, let's just be honest, there's been a lot of add-ons to the gospel. A lot of things have been added on and have even replaced some of the pure, simple, but yet profound truths of what the gospel is and if we were just to take a quick time out and just go through every single person to share we'd all have some sort of yeah i I got duped by this i I added this on to the gospel i was i i I was duped into thinking this or that we've all been there i mean we don't need to you know feel bad about it because we've all been there in in one way or another and so we just want to discover rewind two thousand years peel off all the layers of add-ons and see what really is this thing of Christianity. We started several weeks ago talking about the promises, the four promises of the new covenant. The new covenant, Christianity, this thing we have. First promise, if you remember, is nothing like the old covenant. Whatever we knew of the old covenant, the new covenant is nothing like it. In the new covenant, we actually have a new heart. The, the heart of Christianity is that there's a new heart. And then we talked about how in the new covenant, there's a promise of intimacy with God that he says, you won't need to teach, know the Lord, know the Lord, for you'll all know me. To which we say, I didn't know that I'd already knew him. And the point in the, in the, in the to me, Christianity is this lifelong, I'm on the 80 year plan myself, the lifelong pursuit, the lifelong journey of discovering what we already know at the deepest core level, him but we don't know it here. See, I always used to say, oh, I get it here, but I need to work it down into here. That's what I used to say. But isn't the truth just the opposite? He's saying we have a new heart. We have a new core, righteous and holy in all ways. And the deal now is the truth of who we are at our core working its way up into this thing called the mind as the mind is continuously being renewed by the Spirit of God. And then the fourth promise very controversial, but without the fourth promise, promise one, two, and three are just a pile of, you know, smoke. A pile of smoke? Can you, you know what I mean? Um, that all of our sins have been what? Forgiven. To the point where he remembers our sins, what? No more. I was thinking about this. So, so that was the last message I preached, and I've been gone for two weeks, and I was at the beach catching one fish. <laughs> I was going to say fishes, uh, but that would be a lie. Uh, <laughs> catching one fish. Um, man, it was <laughs> that big. Um, so we think about this with me. Think about the power of the cross, the power of the death of Jesus. God is, by definition, omniscient. It's a big fancy word, meaning he knows everything he knows everything think of the power of the cross the cross the sacrificial work of jesus on the cross was so powerful so sufficient so finished that the work of jesus on the cross actually removed things from god's omniscient mind think about that the cross is so powerful that it removed things from god's omniscient mind and what was it that was removed from god's omniscient mind your sin and my sin tell me guys there is nothing more powerful than something that can remove our sin record from the mind of an omniscient God. But the cross, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came, as John the baptizer said, to take away the sin of the world. And all we're trying to say to Christianity, in Christianity 2,000 years ago with all these add-ons, is to shake that a little bit and say, no, there is no more record of sin. It's all been removed once and for all to the point even now when we get so by our conscience so depressed and so full of anxiety because of something sinful we've done because we still sin we think you know god is you know still holding holding us against us and we can even go to god 
talk about our sin, and the Scripture says, I remember your sin, what? No more. And so we're talking to him about something that he doesn't even know anymore. Guys, I don't know what your definition of good news is, but I can't really think of something better. than You heard the new Mercy Me song? I, I say it's new. I just found it a couple months back, but it's probably been out for a year or two. The, the song says something like, we call it the good news, but really it's the best news ever. Isn't that, isn't that good? The best news ever. So that's what we started with, these four promises of the new covenant. And then Brandon spoke last week about some amazing passage in, in, in James. And what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into this thing of Christianity all natural and really talk about our new identity. We've heard this phrase identity, identity crisis a lot. We're going to talk about this probably for, I don't know, at least three or four weeks, our identity. Because look, if we don't get our identity figured out in Christ, then it's going to be very difficult for us to get the working out of it right. How can we work out, work out your salvation? How can we work it out if we're not really sure about what it is, our new identity? You know, we, we um, are in a, a day and age where there's identity crisis left and right. We've got, you know, conservatives, liberals, you know, fighting over the identity of our country. We've got even you know, Supreme Courts fighting over the identity or the, the, who can use restrooms and not use restrooms. Just some pretty crazy identity crises. But what I want us to kind of focus on here for a few minutes is this identity crisis that we have in Christianity. Most of us, at least I should say myself, have been exposed to some sort of uh, teaching that, you know, God loves you, he's forgiven you, you're a Christian, you're born again, but you still have a dirty, sinful heart. And so we think that we're still dirty, sinful, rotten at the core, which is why I do dirty, rotten things, but, you know, Jesus lives in me, he's forgiven me, and I'm, you know, um, saved. And so we have this identity crisis. In fact, um, a certain translation of the Bible in Romans actually says, makes it sound like, and it's a bad translation, makes it sound like we have two natures. We have the godly nature, the good nature, the nature from Christ, but it makes it sound, this particular passage in this particular translation that is rampant since the 80s, and most people, myself, read from it you know, for most of my life, that we also have a sinful nature sinful nature and a divine nature and so we think we have half this and half that and we're make made up of these two halves and so it's kind of like a civil war we're trying our best to deny the bad in us the bad of who we are so that we can kind of pursue the good and and sometimes that works and sometimes we fail and and we feel like we're torn in the civil war of identity of who am i well Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees who were trying to identify Jesus as being Beelzebub, a demon. He said, we, they said, Jesus, we know how you do what you do because you are a devil yourself, Beelzebub. And Jesus says, okay, um, let's just evaluate this real quickly. Um, why, if I were Beelzebub, would I be casting out other demons, you know, like my friends, from people? That makes no sense at all. And this is what Jesus said. He says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. In fact, it was not Abraham Lincoln that said that the first time. Um, that was actually Jesus. Abraham Lincoln used that, of course, that quote to uh, talk about this, America during the Civil War. Uh, and that's a true statement. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A marriage, husband, wife, divided against itself cannot stand. It will fall apart. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so Jesus acknowledges that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Yet, yet, most of us, again, I should say myself, but I'll, I'll assume that many of us have embraced a teaching that we are 
divided among ourselves. That the gospel, the good news, is that I'm still a dirty, rotten sinner at my core, that I'm still of an old, dirty heart, yet I have a new nature. I still have an old nature, the old dead nature, uh, the old sinful nature, but I also have the new nature, a new nature in Christ. And so we think the gospel is, the good news is that I am divided against myself. And Jesus promises what the result of that is. It will not what? Stand. And so somehow, after 2,000 years of add-ons, Christianity is a, basically a promise that you're not going to make it because you're divided against yourself with two natures, a good nature and a bad nature. Anybody ever heard this or been exposed to this sort of thinking that you have two natures within you? Sure. So what I want us to do today is to talk about the fact that you actually, if you believe in Jesus, let me put that in there, that you, if you believe in Jesus, have actually already died. That sounds kind of strange. It sounds kind of crazy. But the gospel is that you, the good news is that you, the old you, the you that you started with from your mama, from her mama, all the way back to Adam and Eve, died. Your nature, your heart, your spirit, who you are on the inside, call it your core, whatever you want to call it, has already died. To which most of us, myself especially, until recently, would say, uh, say what? <laughs> Come again? I died? No, no, no. Jesus died. Yeah, Jesus died. But his death, apart from your death, was just his death. And the whole point of his death was so that you, by grace through faith, could participate in his death. And the death he died, he died for all who would believe in him. And we're going to see this morning a little bit about what that means and why that's so important. Because if we don't see our death, that we died already, the inner man. We're not talking about the flesh, okay? Just to make sure that nobody's like thinking that I'm some, I've got like, you know, 16 eyes up here, you know, what you've been smoking on vacation, Walt. But we're not talking about the flesh. We're talking about the inner man, the spirit, soul has died. I want us to start in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is in our notes, our sermon notes. If you do the a, a phone or a tablet or whatever, you can go to the Bible app um, and uh, click on more and events and locate us, uh, our, our meeting, and, and all these notes will be in there if you want. Um, <clears throat> so quick little context of Romans 6. There's Romans 5 that came right before it. And in Romans 5, at the end, Paul makes a pretty spectacular claim. He says that the law, you know, the law of Moses entered in, the Ten Commandments entered in, they were given so that trespasses, a fancy word for sinning, so that sinning would increase, which that just blows some circuits every time I read it. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the, the law came in so that sinning would increase. And then he says, wherever sin increases, wherever sin abounds, grace superabounds, okay? So wherever there's a lot of sin, there's a lot more grace is what he's saying. And the law came in so that there would be even more sinning so that the graciousness of God would be on display for all to see. Isn't that awesome? And so then Paul, he, he's, you could kind of picture his, his, his thinking through this. He says, so the law came in to increase sinning so that with the increase of sinning, there's an increase of grace knowing what the people might misconstrued that, misconstrued that as, the same thing we do 2,000 years later, oh, so if there's more grace when there's more sinning, how about we just sin it up, and then it'll be grace, then we'll see all the more grace. And so Paul enters into chapter 6, and this is where he talks about our death. He says, what shall we say to this fact that with there's more sin there's more grace what shall we say about this are we to continue in sin 
so that grace so that grace may increase and i want us to see very quickly i'll make a couple notes as we walk through this that he's not just simply saying are we to continue sinning so that grace would increase he makes a very clear point are we to continue in sin in sin versus sinning are two different things we don't think about it all that well but actually, in the original language, if you're, you know, the Greek geeks out there, this is uh, called a locative, uh, which means the location. It's the location. Are we to continue in the location of sin so that grace would increase? Are we to continue in this place, in this status, in this location of sin so that grace would increase all the more? And his answer in verse 2 is, may it never be. May it never be. In other words, what a preposterous thought. We will not continue in this location of sin, in this place of sin, so that grace would increase. Because, why? Because how shall we who, look at this, died to sin, if we've died to sin, how can we still live in it? And again, he's not just talking about like, doing a bunch of sinful things he's talking about your actual location our location upon our physical birth which he gets into in a few minutes is we were in the flesh our inner man and the flesh were joined together our partner our husband if you will was the flesh and the sin of the flesh. And what Paul is saying is, yes, all the more sin, all the more grace, but does that mean that we're going to continue in this place of sin joined to the flesh so that there will always be more grace? No. We actually died to the flesh. We died to sin so that we would no longer live in it, in this location of sin. And then he says this, because most of you are thinking this. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? I can, I can, I can just imagine the mind of Paul right here. He's, saying, he, he's, he's about to wax awesomely and eloquently about our death and then he just dawns on him, wait a minute. Maybe you don't even know this yet. Have you not heard? Do you not know? Do, do, has nobody even told you that because you were placed into Christ Jesus, you actually were placed into his death? And so the very same death he died, you died. Did you not know that? To which now 2,000 years later, we're sitting here or listening by podcast thinking, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that. I've never heard that. I didn't know that being placed into, that's what baptized means, being placed in, immersed in, submerged in, being placed into Christ Jesus, because all of us, all of us who are believers would raise your hand to say, yes, I've been placed into Christ Jesus. We all, I mean, you can't really be a Christian without believing that. I've been placed into Christ Jesus. But did you know, this is Paul's question, do you not know that since you've been placed into Christ Jesus, you were also placed into his death. You actually died. Your old man died. Did you know that? And we're sitting here 2,000 years later kind of scratching our heads saying, hmm, I don't really remember that in Sunday school growing up. I don't really remember that in family Bible studies and whatnot. I just remember, you know, do better, try harder, you know, the Ten Commandments. I remember those things, you know, the morality, try your best to be like. But I don't really remember. I remember Jesus died, but I died? And Paul is like, whoa, wait a second, time out. You might not even have heard about your death in Christ, so I'm going to now wax eloquently for chapter 6, chapter 7, about your death in Christ, to which Unfortunately, so many pastors and believers, they look at chapter 6 and 7 of Romans and they're just like, I don't know, this is kind of hard. Let's just skip on to chapter 8 and 9. But we're just going to walk through very quickly a little section of chapter 6 
to hopefully just sort of whet our appetite to wait a second. I thought I was two natures, the old nature, the new nature, but he's telling me that the old man is, is dead. Therefore, do you not know? Therefore, we, because we have been baptized into Christ and into his death, we have been buried, look at that, with him. You thought it was just Jesus in the grave, didn't you? Not according to the apostles. The apostles taught that you, not your body, but your spirit was in the grave with them. Not necessarily in time and space 2,000 years ago, but God exists outside of time and space. So whenever you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, whenever you chose to follow Christ and to call to him for salvation, to believe in him, in that moment, your old man was dead and buried with him through baptism into death. There it is again. We've already died. So that there's a purpose behind our death, which we're not going to get into a whole lot this morning, you know, because we're going to get into it next morning. I didn't want us to be here for like three hours this morning. Can I get an amen? And so we're going to talk about the resurrection, you know, next week probably, but we're going to talk about the death. But the death happened so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might actually walk now in newness of life. So because he died and we died with him, we're now actually able to walk in his life. We're going to get into that more next week. But we can't really follow our grammatical process here. We can't really talk about walking in newness of life if we don't first what? Embrace the fact that we what? Died. We can't, we can't even begin to talk about walking in newness of life until we embrace the fact that we've died and we died with Christ. And, and this, this is either some sort of churchy, pithy um, verbiage here or this is life to us. See, I think that this phraseology, even maybe as you're listening, it's just kind of like, yeah, I died with Christ, I died with Christ, whatever. You know, it's just kind of what church, church people say. No, look, I'm trying to get us to see this is something that is so real, in fact, more real than what we can see with our own eyes. This, this is what Jesus proclaimed, promised that the Holy Spirit was sent to do, to guide us in this reality. John chapter 16. John chapter 17. He says, I'm sending him so that he will guide you in this reality, this unseen reality of your death in me. And if we don't see that we died, we're never going to see how to walk in him because we're always going to be trying to balance the old with the new, the old man with the new man. The old has, is dead. Um, therefore, we have been, have been buried with him, past tense, so that we might walk um verse five for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death now again i know we've already done one greek geek thing for the morning sorry i'm going to do two um this is a conditional sentence anybody i've already lost somebody sorry this is a conditional sentence if then okay it's like man we're going back to high school english here if then in English, this kind of sounds like if we've been buried, if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, if that's happened, and I'm not really sure it's happened. That's what it sounds like in English. But in the Greek, there's actually three different types of conditional sentences. And this is actually first-class condition. Okay, I'm sorry, I apologize. But this is what that means. You have to take my word for it, or maybe you can look it up, Google it later. But what this means is if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, and we have. You see that? It's that assumed reality, or you could put the word since. Since we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. You see that? It's not ambiguous. It's not maybe possibly if we have, and I'm not sure if we have. This is, it is so clear in the original language. It's first class condition, assumed reality. Since we have, because of the fact we have, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, it's just like the verse before. We can't talk about our new resurrected life and our identity of who we are now in Christ until we drive, and I don't mean this in any sort of uh, punny way, we have to drive the nail into our own coffin of the death of our old man. 
will never walk in this new life of resurrection if we don't see the death of their old man. And here's his culmination. You ready for this? Knowing this, this is verse 6, I think. Knowing this, this is, this is beyond any shadow of doubt. The Apostle Paul received this by revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself as he describes in the book of Galatians. Knowing this, this is what we know. Our old self was crucified with Him. And if I were to take a non-scientific poll, I would bet that 70 to 80% of Christianity today would say, I didn't know that. I did not know that my old man, my old self, has been crucified with him. And I don't really know what to say to that other than, well, now you do know. Now we do know. We can celebrate the death of the... Because here's what, here's, here's what happens. As I'm living as a Christian in 2017, I've got a wife, I've got three kids, I've got a job, I've got a ministry, I've got neighbors, I've got you know, responsibilities, I've got a house, I've got, I've got, I've got. And all these things start piling in and piling in and piling in. And the temptation to sin is always present because sin is alive in my mortal body, in my flesh. And I am trying my hardest because I know a Christian ought to be certain things and do certain things. And so I am constantly under this pressure of trying to deny, trying to uh, reject a core piece of who I am or who I think I am so that I can chase after this other piece, this fleeting piece of who I think I am. And so, so much of my life is spent in this toss to and fro, back and forth of, I know what I'm supposed to be like, but this is really who I'm like. I, this, I know this is who I'm the sinner, this, this despicable, you know, dirty, rotten scoundrel. I know this is who I'm like because that's what the preacher always says I am with a dirty heart, so forth and so forth. And I'm trying my best to get over here. And, and the effort, the trying is so difficult that eventually I just say, you know what, forget it. Forget it. I'm done trying. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with any of this. And I walk away from all of it because of this double-minded teaching that you have two natures, that you have two hearts, that you have the old man still alive is who you really are. And so instead of embracing this walking as he's been talking about in this newness of life, we survey our life and we say, there's no newness of life in me. It is nothing but drudgery and pain and sorrow and, and trying and failing over and over to be something other than what I am convinced I really am at the core. And so what's so important for us to embrace our death the death of who we once were is because we can never in our own efforts ever overcome a dual nature scenario and so god knows that and so he says here's what i'm going to do i'm actually when i lift up my son i'm going to draw all men and women into him and in his death those who believe in him will also die with him and the old will be put away and behold there will be a new a new creation a new life well they will be able to walk in a newness of life where they won't even as their minds are being renewed to this amazing truth where the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace and so he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that there was a purpose, our body of sin might be done away with. Fancy language for this. Remember who we were joined to. Our old man was joined to the flesh. 
And what he's saying is the old man was cut away. We read about this in Colossians 2, the circumcision of the inner man from the outer man. It was separated from the flesh. It died, and a new creation was raised so that the body of sin, the flesh, might be rendered impotent. Think with me here. What is the penalty for sin? It's later in the same chapter 6, verse 23, if you want to read down to it. The wages of sin is death. Okay, please hear me. If you haven't heard, if none of this makes any sense, please consider this. The wages of sin is death. And according to Paul, you who believed in Christ have been what? You've died. The wages of sin is death, and you died with him, with Christ. So now, what is the wage of sin upon you? It was your death. It was your death. Do you see that? It was your death. Wow, that was a catch. Oh, that's nice. It was your death. And you died. Everybody seen the movie Double Jeopardy? Ashley Judd? Oh, man. You know, a, what is that? No scorn hath something. What's that saying, you know? Uh, so she was convicted of killing her husband. He faked his death. If you haven't seen the movie, it might be on Netflix. I don't know. He was convicted of, she was convicted of killing him. She didn't kill him. And you know she didn't kill him in the movie, I think. But she was convicted of it. She did her time. She got out on parole. And she knew that he was, or oh, she, she discovered that she, he wasn't actually dead. He faked his death, I think, for insurance money, something, I don't know, something dumb a guy would do. Um, so she finds him in New Orleans. And she, I don't want to give away the whole movie if you haven't seen it, but she actually kills him at the end of the movie. And guess what? They were not able to draw charges against her. Why? Because she was already charged with the crime. She already did her time for the crime. And in the America, there is a saying called double jeopardy where you cannot be charged for the same crime twice. Okay? Which is why like a famous case like O.J. Simpson cannot be tried again as a criminal case because he was acquitted. Uh, this girl, Ashley Judge, she was, she would, did her time. She was guilty for something she didn't do, and she was able then to. Now I'm not con- encouraging you know you to kill your spouse you know and get away with the double jeopardy. But the reason they could not touch her is because this law of double jeopardy. I want us to imagine that the wage of all your sin, the wage of being joined to sin, the wage of sin being in sin is death. And guess what? You died with him. And so that's why God cannot and will not hold anything further against you. Because not only has your sin been removed from you and you from your sin through this death and resurrection, but you, in participation with Christ, have already died paying the penalty for it. He physically, but your spirit was in him, drawn into him by grace through faith. For he who has died, and this is his explanation. Remember, if you see the word F-O-R, that's always explaining what he just said. For he who has died, and raise your hand if you have died. If you've believed in Jesus, you can raise your hand. I have died in Christ. I am a believer in Christ. I've been baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death. He who has died, okay, that's me, is freed from sin. Now, does that mean that we will never sin? This is something totally different. This is the noun, the thing called sin that lives in our mortal bodies that we were joined to. We have been freed from it. Freed, how so? Well, again, what's the wage of sin? Death. And now there is no more death because we participated in his death. We were buried with him. And so we're freed from it. Now, verse 8. If we have died with Christ, okay, who was paying attention earlier? This is another conditional sentence. It's first class as well, assumed reality. Since we have died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. We'll get into that again more next week. But 
you see a pattern developing. He's like, you can't even talk about walking and life in him if you don't drive the nail in the coffin of your death with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, this is big, is never to die again. Why is Christ never to die again? Because death is no longer master over him. He already died once. And same concept of double jeopardy. There's not going to be a second death because there's nothing that, that's left to be brought onto his account because there's nothing left to be brought on our account because of his one death once and for all. And so he's saying that this will never happen again. And, and this is what's huge, this next verse. For the death that he died, which you are in, okay, so you could say, the death that we died, because we've been placed into him and into his death. Look at this. The death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. How many times did Jesus die? Once and for all. And you are in him and in his death. How many times have you died to sin? Once and for for all. Let me try to connect the dots there on that. We, there's a big teaching in Christianity today that we need to die what? Daily. They take a passage that Jesus says, that Jesus says in in, in the Gospels, take up your cross uh, uh, daily and follow me. And he does say that. A completely different context, a completely different message, a completely different theme that he's talking about. He's talking about a daily rejection from this world. This world is not my home. Paul says it this way, I have been crucified to this world and this world to me. This world is not my identity. I do not gain anything from this world in my spirit. Sure, in the flesh, I gain housing, I gain enjoyment, I gain company, but I do not gain anything in the spirit because all that is from Christ. And so Jesus making the statement of we die daily, meaning our rejection from this world has been shifted into because you sinned yesterday, you need to die again to sin today. And this repeated trap of am I saved, am I not saved? Have I died today, have I not died today? And then there's other, this other passage that Paul says that I, he says, I die daily, Paul says. And so we say, uh, we, we've even had this comment made uh, in the past in our discussion time at Life Journey. I die daily. We need to die daily. Die daily. Paul says we die daily. And again, context is your friends, friends. If you read what he's actually saying, he's talking about how he's been chased out of town after town. He's been stoned. He's been left for shipwreck. He's had wild dogs chase him down. What he's saying is, I am so committed to this gospel message that my life is hanging in the balance every single day. I die daily. Talking about his flesh. He's not talking about his spirit, his soul, because we died with Christ, and Christ died once and for all. Therefore, I'm not the best mathematician, but we died once and for all. So we've got to drive that nail. There's another nail into the coffin. We don't die daily. We died once when we trusted in Christ. The old man is gone. There's no resuscitation paddles. Oh, he came back. And then he's back and he's haunting us again. And then we have to die again. Oh, it's Tuesday. We've got to die on Tuesday. And then, oh, it's Wednesday. Did something Wednesday. And he's back. We've got to die again. That is, that is not the good news. Now, he died once and for all. But the life he lives... He lives to God again. We'll get into that and what living is our identity of our life in Christ more next week. But we've got to hammer this coffin shut. Even so, a couple more verses. So in light of all of this, your death with Christ, you died, you've been placed into him. He did it all. By grace through faith, you are participating in it. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead. And I'm just saying, I'm not really sure how that's being communicated in Christianity today. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. How can we or why can we consider ourselves to be dead to sin? Because Jesus died to sin and we are in him. 
Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And see this idea of considering yourselves? I, I, I envision this 80-year plan. I, I talk about the 80-year plan that I'm on. This continual renewal of the mind of it's Sunday and I'm remembering the truth of the gospel, but you know what? Monday's going to happen. I'm going to forget. And so I need to remember what I remembered on Sunday, that I'm dead to sin and alive to God. Even so, consider yourself. Take the time to remind yourself on a daily basis. If you want to do anything daily, it's not die. It's consider yourself dead on a daily basis. How about that? Therefore, again, because you're dead to sin, and this is where some application starts to flesh itself out, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, let's, let's, let's pay attention here. Whose lusts are sin lusts? Are they your lusts or what? Sin's lust. It's lusts. This is really, really cool for me because every single part of you that desired sin has what? Died. Let me say that again because that just does not, that's not our experience. And I'll get into reality versus experience in a second. The reality is every single piece of you that desires sin has died. The old man, the old self has been crucified with Christ. And now a new man, a new heart with the very desires of God is who you truly are. Yet, there are still the desires of sin that reign, that live, that pulsate through these bodies. And whose desires are these sinful desires? Are they your desires or are they sin's desires? Sin's desires. This is big This is life-changingly big. So every single time that we have, that there is, that we experience the desire to sin, we now know, because we've read Paul's simple teaching on this in Romans 6, that that desire, the desire to sin, is not our desire. It's the desire of sin that lives in my body. And what that does for me, I don't know about you, that gives me the courage to now consider myself dead to that so that I can now actually live to God and for his purposes and his life. Because that desire is not, I, it feels like my desire. It, 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 my experience for my, most of my life is that that was my desire and it was my desire, but I died. I, Paul says it in Galatians that all of your desires, all of them, all sinful desires have been crucified. Your desires have been crucified, but the desire to sin is still in your flesh. But it's not your desires, it's the desires of sin. I can't express how important that is for us to wrap our minds around that. Because we've died to sin, we now do not have to allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies and obey its lust and do not last verse or two go on presenting the members of your body you know your body your flesh to sin do not continue presenting your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but instead seeing that you died to sin instead present yourselves to god as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I, it's ironic uh, or perhaps divine that I played the guitar this morning. An instrument. You put an, that instrument in my hand and you get about four or five chords. You heard them this morning. You put that instrument in Hart's hand. And who, those, those of us who had his birthday party the other week, I mean, you just name a song from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and he'll play the whole thing for you, lick for lick. Same instrument, but in two different hands. What the apostle is saying is your body is an instrument. And if you are duped by this, uh, this thinking that your old man is not dead, then you're probably going to continue presenting your body to sin for sin to play you. You see that? And it's going to sound terrible. 
Or you can choose, you can make a choice to present your body, your instrument, to God for him to play you. And that's going to sound good. And that's what your wife needs. That's what your children need. That's what your husband needs. It's for you and I daily to choose to believe that we've died to sin so that we can now live a whole new life and that our very bodies no longer must be instruments for sin to play, but now instruments for the God of the creation to play. Which do you think is going to sound better? For sin shall not be the master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You see, it's my conviction. I could be wrong on this, and the apostle will have to set me straight one day. But it's my conviction that if we find ourselves in some level or some form of habitual sin, or sinning of any type, but especially habitual sin, we are in some way submitting to some law. We might not see it that way. We might not understand it that way. But if we are finding ourselves submitted, uh, engaging in some, where, where our bodies are being used by the flesh to play fleshly tones, we're living by some sort of law. And he is saying, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. But if you see that inversely, if sin is playing our mortal bodies, we are engaged in some sort of gross sin or any sin, then sin, then law is what you're living by. Because wherever there is law, there is an abundance of sin. And I wanted to skip ahead for time's sake to chapter 7 because he continues waxing on this whole thing because this is really the culmination of this whole deal that kind of springboards us into next week. He says, therefore, my brethren, you also, this is so cool, were made to die. And again, we're, we're sitting here thinking like, I, I was made to die? I died? And it sounds so new, but it's been in our Bibles for 2,000 years. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that, here's this big purpose, you might be joined to another. Remember, we were joined to the flesh, but we were made to die so that we could be raised new, joined to another. And that other to him who was raised from the dead talking about Jesus, in order that we might actually bear fruit for God. If we were to poll every single believer in this room and listening by podcast, they would probably, we'd probably all say yes to the box, to the question, do you desire to produce fruit for God? Yeah, it's, it's, it's our desire. And here's what I hear the apostle saying. If you want to bear fruit from, for God, then you have to realize that you died. The old you has died, and a brand new you now lives that is actually able to bear fruit for God. Here's our journey marker. If you're newer with us, our journey marker is just, let's try to shrink all this into a simple thought that we can walk away with. We started off talking about our identity, about who we are, and, and here's just what I want us to see. Embracing our new identity, which we're going to talk about for several weeks, okay, coming up. Embracing this new identity begins with embracing my death. It begins with embracing my death in Christ. Because again, if we don't see that we died, then we're never going to know how to live, because we're always going to be trying to tame the old man rather than living from the abundance of Christ within us. I was thinking on this over the week. I was like, how can I make this like really like hit home? You know, which usually always fails. But um, I was thinking about attending your own funeral. Like, I wonder if it would have been possible, if it would be possible, 
for the Lord to show us our very own funeral. I'm not talking about the body. I'm talking about the spirit. If we could actually see with these human eyeballs the death of our old man and actually attend the funeral of our old man, I think that would be so helpful to see, wow, it really is dead. And I have a whole new heart, a whole new life. And then I got to thinking about this. Oh, my God, he is so wise. Think about baptism. In baptism, and we do it out here in the front, or we do it wherever you want to get baptized if you want to be baptized. What we do in baptism is we have the person who has begun to trust in Christ, and we say, have you begun trusting in Christ? And they say yes. And we say, well, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the likeness of his death and we're all there and you're participating in your funeral of sorts seeing the old man has died and then raising you up from the water a picture of the likeness of his resurrection which is a likeness of your new life listen i got baptized when i was 13 years old and i got baptized because i was in a baptist church and they said hey you pray this prayer you need to go get baptized i was clueless about what this is actually picturing. Baptism, going into the water and coming up out of the water is God's tactile, is that the right word? His his physical picture of your own death. Because you can't see the Spirit. And when you go to a funeral, The person didn't die at the funeral. They died a few days before. And so when we get baptized, if you've been baptized, you are participating in the funeral of something that already happened, but which we'll get into next week, you're also participating in the celebration of something that happened, birth, a new birth, which we'll get into again in in this identity focus in a few weeks. So here's what I want you to do, to think about. Those of you who have been baptized, I want you to remember your baptism. Remember going down into the water. And I want you to imagine, embrace, remember that moment as the funeral of your old man. So you actually did attend your funeral. You just didn't know it. If if you haven't been baptized, look, we'll throw some water together and make it happen. We'll go down to the creek, right? And we'll, because of this tangible Reminder, this tangible experience of going down my death. The old is dead. Behold, the new has come. You know, it'd be kind of weird if a loved one of yours died and you didn't bury him. It'd be kind of weird. Just be honest. What is that? Um, weekend at Bernie's, right? It'd be kind of weird if the person dies and you don't bury him. You're toting around a dead body, starts to stink, foul up the place. Nobody does that. I'm just saying, guys, you've died if you're in Christ. Let's celebrate it with a funeral, your own funeral, if you've been baptized. If you haven't been baptized, then let me know. We'd love to make that happen. But you bury the dead. You don't tote it around. The dead is gone. So here's what we've seen today. Wrap it all up. Our identity is not half old me and half new me. That's not the gospel. The old man died. Number two, we do not die daily or often or over and over. We died once, just as Jesus died once. We also saw, number three, that my death in Christ freed me from this location of sin. Not that I will not choose to walk after the flesh anymore because we do we make stupid choices but we're no longer in the flesh we're no longer in sin the location we're freed from it and we're freed from its penalty so even when we do get stupid and we do mess up we're freed from the penalty because the penalty was death and guess what we died with christ no double jeopardy number four because i died to the flesh we saw this in chapter seven verse four i'm now joined to jesus he's my new lover he's my new partner he's my new husband and number five is what we saw today now 
we'll get into this next week, to walk, um, sorry, uh, now to walk after the flesh, okay, is the greatest identity crisis possible. If we see just how dead we are and just how alive we are in Christ, how dead we are to sin, and if we see that, then to turn around and walk after the flesh is the greatest identity crisis possible. And I'm not saying we're not going to do it because we all stumble in many ways. But it's an identity crisis, and that's why we're going to spend some time in this Christianity all-natural discovering what our true identity is. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.